um, short to try to finish. So we'll finish what we started last week. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and we've been in the topic of the fear of the Lord. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll hopefully, you know, I think that by maybe next week or the week after, we can start the design of the church. And um, so let's, uh, but these are more foundational, uh, foundational. We, we need to build the fear of the Lord. Our society has really lost the meaning of the fear of the Lord. And I pray that by God's grace, you know, these messages are helping you to maybe to consider the fear of the Lord in a new light and to consider the fear of the Lord as, as foundational um, for anything that you want to begin in your life. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word despise there um, doesn't mean to hate. We use that word in the English language, uh, so-and-so despises that person. And we usually, what we mean today is that they hate them. But that's not what the word means in Proverbs. The word in Proverbs, fools despise wisdom, means to be held in contempt, is to kind of not value Ah, it's like if you are, you know, you look at something in the store, um, um, you know, and it's made out of plastic, and it's not really, it's not, doesn't have a lot of good construction, good quality, we tend to not value it, right? It's like, ah, that's what the word means. Fools look at God's wisdom and instruction, and they're like, eh, not impressed by it. That's what it means. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Father, we pray that your word would um, just strengthen us today. Remind us of the truth of God. Help us to not despise, uh, Lord, uh, wisdom and instruction. Help us to not, Lord, help us to value the knowledge of God. Help us to value truth. Help us to value, Lord, and, and we pray for our church and for every person here that we might grow in the fear of the Lord. So much has been said, but Lord, the fear of the Lord is the foundation, the, the beginning of knowledge of anything that we're going to know in truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. So help us today, Lord, to understand that and to really um, embrace all that you have for us this morning. I pray for your anointing. I pray that you would bind every power of darkness, every spirit of Satan that would try to distract our minds we pray that, God, you would just push them out and allow your word to come and, Lord, hit the mark in our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we've been looking at um, the starting point of true knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And we ask, what is the fear of the Lord? And then we ask the question, um, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what kind of knowledge? What is knowledge? And so let me give, just give you um, just a quick rundown of what have we said. First of all, uh, biblical knowledge is personal, all right? It's very personal. It's moral. Uh, it's, it's, uh, Lord, uh, I think I have a review slide, Sarah. I have a review slide before that. That's a sermon slide. I have a review slide. Um, it's personal. It's moral. It's experiential. It's relational. And last week we said it's spiritual, spiritual knowledge. And we get that from Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of spiritual knowledge. It's spiritual. It's not the beginning of the knowledge of biology. It's not the beginning of the biology, uh, uh, the beginning of the knowledge of carpentry. All those things are on an earthly realm. And fear of the Lord sure is going to help and inform the way we go about but the, what's in view in Proverbs is a certain kind of knowledge that the Bible really describes, and that knowledge is personal, that knowledge is moral, it holds us accountable, that knowledge is experiential, something that you experience, it's not just intellectual, that knowledge is relational, it involves other people, it's not just private, and, and, and that knowledge is spiritual, all right? And the Bible talks about 
that there are two levels of, of, of life that you should be aware of. There, are, there is, you know, it's like I heard somebody say yesterday, the DSM, the diagnostic, what is it, what's the DSM stands for again? Diagnostic Statistical Manual. That's what the doc, that's the basically the, bi the Bible for the doctor. And in that manual, in that manual, um, you know, it tells you everything that you need to tell you about every disease and everything. But there's nothing about the soul. There's nothing about the spirit. It's completely empty. So all of our institutions have failed to recognize the importance of the spirit realm in the life of people. Right? And no wonder we're such a mess. Right? <laughs> it's almost like you, you forgot half of the equation. You know, so, 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 but, but praise God for the Bible. The Bible takes us as we are both in our natural and in our physical and in our spiritual. The Bible takes it all into consideration. Amen? And so we can deal with things. There are things that you're going to deal with that clearly have natural roots, natural causes. But then there are going to be things that you're going to deal with that, that have roots in the spiritual. So, you, so and, and, and that's in that party that cannot be measured. How many people have gone to the doctor and they can't find what's going on, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a common thing in, in, in medical, you know, because we're more than just chemicals. We're more than just molecules. We're, there, there's something, all right? So life exists on two levels, on the natural level or the spirit, and the spiritual. That's the reality of all of life. You know, John 3, 6, that which is a born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's two levels, two realms, flesh and spirit. That which is earthly, physical, and that which is spiritual. And so, you, got, you know, how many people really think about the spiritual, even believers sometimes don't even think about the spiritual realm. And, and we become all carnal, and we, and we become, and that's what, that's what in Galatians, having begun by the spirit, are you not going to be perfected by the flesh? Right, the idea that, that, that we just don't, we don't know what to do with these two realms, right? We know what to do in the natural, but when it comes to the spiritual, oftentimes we have no idea. And that should not be the case for a believer. So there's a, but there's a tendency to think that the flesh, the, the, the physical realm, the natural realm, is completely in opposition to the spiritual. That's not the case. It's two realms that God has ordained them both. God has ordained both of those realms, right? Look at um, look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse forty six. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. In other words, the natural, the physical, has priority. That comes first. You want to become spiritual, you're gonna have to go through the valley of the natural. <laughs> you're gonna have to first deal with things that you know right here on this level, right? And it's amazing how that works. You're gonna God God takes this realm very serious, right? And then, but then. Right? So, but then, the spiritual. Amen? Praise God that we don't stay there. We don't stay in the natural. God wants us to progress. God has something for us. Amen? And God always intended the natural to serve kind of as a probation. You know, so toward, for the spiritual. So that the natural serves, the, 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 uh, serves as a means to an end. And, the, and that end is spiritual. God wants us to be spiritual. Now, the only people that can be spiritual, I'm sorry to say, are only those that have been born again by the Holy Spirit. If you have never been born again, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. There's nothing of life in you, spiritually speaking. Zero. You are, in every essence, a zombie. Basically walking around. <laughs> right? But there's, there's nothing of the life of God. Nothing of the life of God. And so, so, so we must be born again. That's why, that's why Jesus said Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's no other way. You, can, you can't visit a, a, a witch doctor to become spiritual. You, know, you, can't, you can't visit black magic. And, you know, no, the only way to become truly spiritual is to be born again by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we're going to take that, you know, look at what 1 Corinthians 15, 44 says. It is sown a natural body. Amen? God wants us to die, right? I mean, right? If a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, right? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, what happens? It abides alone. But if it dies, if it's sown, 
what? Bears much fruit. Amen? So, so, so all of these things, all of these things, right? it is sown a natural body. It is raised spiritual. So, so what God wants us to do with the natural body is to die. Amen? It's to die. To, to, by the spirit, begin to die. Begin to put to death the old man, right? Begin to, right? And let the spirit, spiritual person begin to take more and more priority. To think spiritually. And that, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> to get up in the morning and to have your spiritual priorities. Not just your earthly priorities, but to have your spiritual priorities in order. Amen? So, and then, and, and this, this spiritual realm, just to give glory where glory is due, we, we don't, the only reason we can enter in the, is because Christ raised from the dead, and when he ushered, when he rose from the dead, Jesus ushered in humanity, amen, into this new spiritual age. But, but without Christ dying and raising again, you and I have no access, no access to that which is spiritual. We would have been dead as a doorknob, right? right? But Christ, when, we, when he was raised, we were raised with him, and we were ushered into a new realm of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So praise God for what the work of Christ. So we're going to continue to, we're going to um, just continue this um, topic of spiritual and finish it up today. Let's go to um, Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. We're looking at spiritual knowledge in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul wants believers to be what? Filled. Filled. Filled with what? With the knowledge of his will. This is obviously, and um, the desire is so strong in Paul that he never what? What does he, what does he, does not, what does he keep doing all the time? Praying. We have not ceased to pray for you. So whatever Paul is speaking must be very important. Is that, is that, is that a reasonable conclusion? Is that a reasonable we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, begging, pleading that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. <laughs> that, 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 that catches my attention. He's not casually, once in a while, he is gripped by something, and it has so motivated him, he does not stop praying about it, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word there, filled, means to complete. To fill or to fill up. Now, what kind of filling does he mean? Well, go to Ephesians 4.10. This is the kind of filling he has in mind. He who descended, who's the one who descended? Jesus. All right. He, Jesus descended is the one who also ascended far above all the, that he might what? Fill. Now, when, when Jesus fills anything, is it three quarters? <laughs> is it 98%? No, there is an abundance, an overflow. Right? They, like, it's like fill on steroids, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like he fills it. It's, it's, it's all of it is consumed in it. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will. So, Go to um, Colossians 1.9, keep that verse. So why does Paul pray without ceasing that the church may be filled with this spiritual knowledge? What is it? What, what exactly is it about the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom that Paul is so eager that we be filled with? What, 
at the heart of it, I'm now, now I'm, I'm getting, the man is coming, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I need to know, what is it about this knowledge? What exactly is the substance and the content of this spiritual knowledge that Paul is so eager for the church to understand? What is it? What's, why is he so anxious over this? And, and how do we know that you and I have come into contact with that knowledge? How do you know? W will it make a difference? Will it be something that you're not aware of? Will it be something that is kind of subconscious and you're not really, oh, it happened. Oh, okay. Oh. Praise God. <laughs> is it like that? Yeah. How do we know that we've come into contact with that? And when we come into contact with that knowledge, what, what do we discover? What, does, what is that experience like? Does that make sense? You ever ask those questions? What, you want to really understand the, the issue. What, 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 is, what is Paul really eager for us to know? That he is so, he is constantly praying that I want to be filled. Please, please be filled with this knowledge of his will. Please, please, please be filled. And what is it? And you're like, what, what's the, you ever had somebody wanted something so bad? And you're like, what is it? <laughs> Your moms and dad knows that. <laughs> right? So what is the substance of this, this spiritual knowledge? Well, th this is, this is going to be really interesting. All right, well. The, the substance of this knowledge is his will. So, so, so we, don't, we don't have to go too far to say, okay. He wants us to be filled to knowing what? His will. Okay. Okay, I, I get that. I think I got that, right? What is God's will? Right, it raises the question. <laughs> like, I, what is God's will? You, you, you know, like, try to be a child. <laughs> like I'm, it, he's, he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. All the, off the bat, I said, there's something about that that I'm not, understanding, but since I know the scriptures are inspired, number one, and I know that God is speaking through Paul, then even though I don't understand it, I'm saying, ooh, there's something here. There's something here. <laughs> there's something here. You know, right? So we, we, we can be, we can, our curiosity and our desire, Lord, um, so then we have to ask the question as, as a child, they say, well, then what is this will? And of course, we all have our little images. We all have well, the will of God is that, you, you know, your sanctification. Okay, praise God. You know, th there, there's, um, there's a lot of things that we can say about God's will. What does Paul have in mind? I, I think it's fair to say most believers think of God's will as what? What comes to your mind when you think of God's will? I think it's fair to say, if I was to have you write in a piece of paper, maybe most of you, maybe some, maybe, you know, will say, God's will are the things that God wants us to do. Fair? Yeah, he wants to, these are the things that he wants us to do. Right? <laughs> I mean, we, we tend to think primarily of God's will in terms of God's demands for obedience. These are the things that God is demanding for us to obey. That's his will. Amen? And don't make fun of that because there, there's some truth to that. <laughs> don't, you, know, you, can say, you can say whatever you want, but yeah, there's some truth to that, absolutely. But when Paul says that he prays for the church to be filled with the knowledge of his will, is he complaining that the church may be filled with the knowledge of what God demands for us to do? Is that, is, that what he, is that what Paul is saying? I want you to be filled with the knowledge of what God is demanding for you to do. Uh, now, 
when we phrase it that way, many of you will be like, oh, maybe, maybe not. So, so that, <laughs> so that what, what is God's will? Yeah, wait a minute, is it this or is it, what is it? You know, what, you know but, but I think this is fair. We, 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 that's why God wants to expand our understanding of God. We need to know God. Amen? But we, could have, we have so many religious garments that we just slap onto our, our religious, and, and we just apply these things and we don't think about them. So the primarily, I, th- I think that the tendency is to think of the things that God wants us to do that conforms to his demands and his will. That is God's will. But let me tell you, in a real sense, can I tell you something? That God's will, in a real sense, has nothing to do with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I remember going through this. I said, Lord, this is, this is I'm, you know, this is so beautiful <laughs> because we're, man is like this, like, like, it's like the, man is like a weed. And no matter where you find it, there, there, there goes that weed. <laughs> that weed is there. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter what you put on. But at the end of the day, we got everything is about God. I mean, what's the word that precedes the word will? <laughs> It's the word his, right? It's the word, this has God's will, if first and foremost, his will. And that's just helpful. Because too often times we, and I think it's a work of Satan, to put ourselves in the middle, and then we, what is it? And then we, the, the lens of our interpretation, the lens of our understanding always is through our, us putting ourselves in the middle of that meaning. But I've learned in, in pr- true proper biblical interpretation that God is at the center of it all. And that God's truth stands whether you are alive or not. <laughs> and that God is magnificent. And, you know, and, and yeah, we are a pixel in his providence, but he's the portrait. <laughs> Amen? He's the portrait. God's will, and there's something I believe that Paul is seeing about God's will that he said, okay, I need you to get filled with this. Amen? So, what's God's will? It communicates something primarily about God. God's will, and I know that this is hard for us because I know we, 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 we centerize ourselves, but God's will primarily communicates something about God, not about you or what he wants you to do. That comes. That will come. There's an involvement, but first and foremost, it's God. So what does the word will, what does the word will, it's a great word in the Greek, great word, expresses four things, four things that will, thelema, will communicate, right? Four things. First of all, inclination, preference. Right, so inclination, God's inclination. I mean, you know, God's inclined to something. Preference, God prefers. Are, are you in that picture? You and I are not in that picture. He, it's, just, it's describing something about God. If I tell you I prefer I prefer um, uh, pepperoni in my pizza, am I saying something about you? But here's what we do: it isn't this is this is this is what we do, and this is so I've, I've observed this countless of times. Someone says, "Oh, I prefer pepperoni," and what does the next person say? I prefer anchovies, <laughs> right, right, like we are so centered on ourselves that the fact that he said pepperoni, now I have to, I prefer anchovies, <laughs> but he just said he prefers pepperoni. Wait, why couldn't he say, that's awesome, that's a great preference. Why do we have to inject what I want? But, and that's what we do with the Bible. That's exactly what we do with the Bible. We inject ourselves 
It's God's inclination. It's God's preference, not yours, not mine. It's God's inclination. God has in, God's inclined to certain things. He's trying to tell you what he's inclined to. Second of all, and this is really the heart of the word. If you miss this, you miss it's the heart of the word. The word will expresses desire. Desire. God's desire. With the knowledge of his desire. But, look, look at 1 Corinthians um, 7.37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. What's his desire in this passage? Does anyone know what Paul's talking about? What kind of desire is Paul talking about? What kind of desire? Desire for pop popcorn? Desire for um, going camping? What's his desire in this passage? You guys read um, second, 1 Corinthians 7? What is it? Flesh? No. Oh, yes, it is fleshly. But sexual desire. He's talking to a man who's looking to get married. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his sexual desire for marriage, for having a wife, under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. The word, the word there is associated with, with sexual desire. Same word. He started, started to see why Paul is saying, I want you to be filled with this. God's desire, but here's the thing. Um, this word desire um, is not communicated uh, or conceived as a demand. And it's clear in this passage, it's not a demand, but an intense desire for a particular pleasure. It's a desire for a particular pleasure. It's not, it's not pleasure in general. It's a desire for a particular pleasure, a delight. It refers to a desire for that which pleases and results in a fullness of joy, delight, and satisfaction. Let's go back to Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his intense desire for a particular pleasure. <laughs> oh, it's going to get better next week, I think. <laughs> that God is, his heart is ablaze with a pleasure and a delight. His heart is ablaze with desire and inclination. And Paul is saying, oh, I, want you to, I want you to know that. Okay. It, it, it expresses inclination, preference. It, it, it expresses this desire for intense pleasure. <laughs> Thirdly, you know, uh, it, the word also expresses intention, intent, right? Uh, what, what it, what it really, it's the, the intention is kind of the fixing, fixing of one's will, right? It's a volitional thing on a particular action, uh, on a particular desire, a particular outcome. You fix your, your, your will to do something. You fix, you're fixing, you, ever, you know, you, if, you, if you look at how you make decisions, you, you're, at, you're looking at preferences, and you're looking, and little by little, right, your, your will is, is moved towards one preference. It doesn't happen overnight. It's just little by little through examination, through, right? We do that, right? So we have a, a human mechanism, how we make decisions. This house or not that house. And then, well, this house has a garden. This one doesn't. This one has a washing machine. This one doesn't. Yeah, and we go through this process, and little by little, we're fixing our, it's the idea of intention. So the, the word expresses intent.
And then finally, the word expresses resolve and decision. This is another volitional thing that happens. And this happens with all of us. This is, this is, we are made in the image of God, so these, th- these realities reflect in us how we, how we make decisions, right? Uh, this the idea of resolve. It's one thing to fix, start fixing your will. It's another for that transaction to complete. You've resolved it. It's done. I'm going with that house. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going with that house. You, you, you've, you've made the analysis, and you've made your preference, and now you have resolved, you have committed the will. I'm going in that direction, right? Every, we, we all operate on that level. The desire for the particular pleasure is so strong that God has already resolved to seek that desire. Therefore, you know, God's will signifies this powerful desire in God for something particular that brings him great pleasure. So when we look at Colossians 1.9, I think I have a verse there. I think I modified it. I have in parentheses, right? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, namely his Intense desire for a particular pleasure. <laughs> Amen? That makes it a lot more interesting. You see how different that is than just the demands that God wants me to do? Just, just God demands it. Do you see the difference? No wonder our obedience is in the toilet. Because we, we, everything that we look at, we look at it as rules. God, turn right, turn left. And we, and we, and God, God's not a God like that. He's not like that at all. He's a God of tremendous pleasure. <laughs> no wonder so many Christians, they live their life. You know, I'm just burying my cross. <laughs> you know, and their whole life stinks, you know, because it's like, there's no joy. There's nothing. You got it all wrong. Paul discovered something about infinite pleasures. <laughs> I hope God can just stir you up. God, get rid of these ideas of God that I, they're pagan. They're not Christian. The phrase, his will focuses primarily on what God's desire for his delight. It's one thing to say, just do it, right? It's another to know when someone takes delight in something. That's totally two different transactions. God is a God of delight and pleasure. And the word, I want you from now on, the Lord's Prayer, our fa- no, how many of us pray that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be thy. You know, can we just change that? Can we say, thy kingdom come, thy pleasures, let it be done. Amen. Right? It's not this morbid, like, constraint. Let's just, just do what God says. Uh, ship up, ship up, or ship out, right? You know, it's like, well, we have this idea that God is, no, God is a God. If you don't get to know this God, I'm telling you, you're going to constantly clash with a God of delight. You're going to be, trust me, I clashed for it long enough. I'm trying to help, I'm trying to help you so you can stop clashing. He's a God of great delight. He's a, you know, when we, when we come with our complaints and, and, and you hear God laughing, You'd be like, what, what's up with that, Lord? That's you being disrespectful to me, Lord. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, it's a God of a God of delight. He's a God of great pleasure. We got it all wrong. The pleasure of this world is like a septic tank compared to God. <laughs> so the phrase his will focuses primarily on God's desire. For his own pleasure. And can you give him the benefit of the doubt that his pleasures are better than yours? 
Uh, can, you, can you at least give him the best? His pleasures are going to be a thousand times better than yours. Amen? Why is that so hard to believe? Why do we, why do we insist on our own ways? Why do you spend money for that which does not satisfy? The prophet said. Right? And we fail. Oh, i got to obey. i got to go to church. i got to read my Bible. <laughs> and you go nowhere fast for 15, 20 years because you never really got it. You think God is just demanding you to do things. No. God is a God of tremendous pleasure. Amen? And I, I want this to change your paradigm. God is a God who is intensely motivated by his desire for infinite pleasures. And he's God, so he he can decide however he wants to be. Amen? He's a God of pleasure and delight. So that all that God does, all of it, 100%, of all that God does is a, a result of his pleasure. And I know that's sometimes hard to understand, but look at Psalm, Psalm 135.6. If you can't hear it from me, hear it from the inspired psalmist. Whatever the Lord pleases, what does he do with it? He considers it, puts it aside, does more of the hard stuff, you know, the things that have to be done. No! Whatever the Lord, that's what he does. It, only on earth, but heaven is a different ballgame, you know? No. In heaven and on earth. <laughs> in the seas. Now, this is beautiful because the seas, the seas is, um, is a symbol. It's, it symbolizes, it, in, in ancient Near Eastern literature, the seas are oh, the seas of chaos, darkness. <laughs> Guess what? In your sea of chaos and darkness and Leviathan in those dark places, guess what God is doing? What is God doing? His pleasure. <laughs> he's like, all that he does, he's a, he's a great God. Whatever the Lord pleases, right, he does. D- don't try to make him do anything that doesn't please him. So my prayers have always been, Lord, if it please you, do this. I've learned to change my prayers. I've learned to to appeal to his pleasure. Right? If you know that if a man wants you to bring silver coins, uh, you found copper coins. What are you going to do? Throw them away! (laughs) Because he wants silver coins. Right? right? You ever said, like, it's not complicated. He's a God. We approach him. He's a God of pleasure, delight. Look at Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heaven. He does whatever, right? All that he pleases. And you might say, everything? He does everything? Yes. Does everything be- through his pleasure. How do I know that for sure? Because we have, we have in the Bible the worst possible thing that has ever happened in all of history, right? What was the worst possible thing that ever happened, right? It's not the Holocaust. Sorry, that's horrible, but it's not the Holocaust. It's not the millions that um, Stalin killed. That's not the worst thing that ever happened in the world. That's, That's nothing in comparison to what the Bible tells us is the worst thing. What was the worst thing that ever happened in the, in the history of the whole world? The crucifixion. So that's it. So we have it here. So you, you're never going to come up with a, a worse thing than that. I don't care who rises, who falls. <laughs> you, you can kill a, a million people, 600 trillion, and it will never come close to the death of the Son of God. That was the greatest injustice, right? the greatest evil. So the question is, how did God approach that? How, what, did, what, did that what did that came out of? <laughs> Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. But the Lord was what? To do what? 
to crush him. The Lord was pleased to crush his son. There you go. It doesn't matter. Everything that God does, he's motivated by a pleasure. And the crushing of his son, even in that, God was pleased. That puts us in our place, right? <laughs> puts us in our place. God dwells in absolute pleasure. Look at Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are what? Forever. Continuous pleasure. Paul has tapped into that. Paul has tapped into, folks, I want you to know something. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of the pleasures of God. How, how, how wonderful, that transform, it's no longer about, uh, oh, God, I got to do this, I got to do that. I got to, forget about, throw that away. Focus your energy on the pleasures of God. One of the reasons why so many believers stagnate in their growth is because they never come to realize the role that pleasure plays in God. Look at Psalm 102, look what it tells us to do, something Serve the Lord. How? How do you serve the Lord? With gladness. <laughs> and how do you come into his presence? With singing. We, 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 we violate that like oftentimes. <laughs> Just be like, I'm coming to his presence. <laughs> and the Lord's grace is there. The Lord's grace says, I forgive you. <laughs> he laughs first, and then he forgives us. <laughs> but but you know, you're not going to disturb my pleasure. You can come in the way you want, but, but you know, it's dishonoring. In, in, in the old days, to be honest with you, even, even Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you know, he was hard, his heart was burdened, but he couldn't be sad in the king's presence because to be sad in the king's presence back then, you know, you become head without a head. And how often time we come into God's presence with a God of absolute joy, thrilling, bursting at the seams. You ever, you ever, you ever had one of that? Everyone is having a good time. You ever been in a situation like that? Everyone is just having a good time. And then this one person comes in, sour grapes, destroys the whole mood. And we're like, Lord, give me patience. This person has to make it all about them. We were having a great time. But no. <laughs> well, why does the Lord allow that? Because to give us, to give us a little glimpse of what we've done oftentimes <laughs> when the angels are celebrating. <laughs> and there comes Emmanuel. Lord. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> Give him a break, angels. Give him a break. <laughs> Amen. The God of delight and pleasure. It's changed my life. Amen. <laughs> changed my life. I wish I knew this 20 years ago. I didn't. I suffered so much. Uh, <laughs> but he's a God of great pleasure. Now I laugh all the time. Because you know, I see the delight in, in what God is doing. He tells us serve to approach God in the fullness of pleasure. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what happens? You know, look, look at Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Look at this. This is, this, this is such a warning. Because you did not serve the Lord. Did they serve the Lord? Did they serve the Lord? Yeah, they served the Lord. That's not the issue. The issue is not that they served the Lord. What's the issue? They didn't do it with what? With joy and gladness of heart. That's the issue. Whoa. The issue is not that I'm, I'm just do, I'm, I'm being obedient to my call. <laughs> God doesn't care. Are you doing it with joy? Are you doing it with gladness of heart? Because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart. That's a challenge to all of us. Because you know what? The ministry is hard. Sometimes we feel so burdened. I'm like, I'm, I, Lord, I'm empty of Praise God for the blood. Praise God for, for the mercy of Christ. Because I'm, honestly, I don't serve the Lord with, glass, with joy every time. But I try to make the correction. I say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No. God has been good. Amen. You make that correction. But woe to those who live their lives trying to serve God. And never turn to serve him with joy and gladness. Therefore, verse 48, therefore, this, there comes a consequence to that. 
you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you. Why? Because, because they did not serve the Lord with... Are you kidding me? God takes it that serious? No, that, Lord, that's a little harsh, is it? it? It is, for those who don't know who God is. But when you know that pleasure is his dwelling place. <laughs> he doesn't have pleasure. It's not like us. We go partying on Fridays. <laughs> that's, not, that's not God. He's partying the whole time. <laughs> the whole time he's clubbing. <laughs> he's just enjoying all that he is, all that his son is. God is. And, and so it's all the time. But he said, because you're not, you're not ser- you did not serve me with gladness, you will serve your enemies in hunger and thirst and nakedness. Look at that. Lacking everything. Not because, not because you committed some grave disobedience. Not because you smoke crack on Thursday. Not because you have to smoke crack. You know, we, we, like, we like those categories, right? That's not, the what, that's not what God says. God says, you didn't serve me with gladness. You did not serve me with joy. And he'll put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has betrayed you. Crazy, right? So let's repent of our unbelief. Let's repent of our gloom. Let's repent, right? Let's fight tooth and nail against depression, against all these wicked things that want to just tear us down. And No. We rise up. We we all have to do this. Someone can't do it for you. You got to do it. I got to do it. You got to do it. We all got to do it. And we're going to, no. God is a God of great. He is laughing right now. I'm in the dumb, but he's laughing. I'm laughing with him. Amen? God will help us. So knowing the pleasures of God is going to be a source of great strength. And, and, and Paul knows that. That's why he wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, which is his pleasure, his desires for great pleasure. Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah 8.10. Then he said to them, and I'm going to wrap up. Then he's go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions for, to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see that? You see that um, this, no, we're going to do it God's way. You're going to eat of the fat. You're going to drink of the sweet. You're going to send portion to who has nothing prepared. You're going to, right? Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Knowing the joys, the pleasures of God, knowing that becomes a source of strength for us. Right? Sometimes we try to, again, we internalize it. The joy that I feel for the Lord is my strength. Yes, there's some truth to that. But, but even before that, it's knowing the joy of the Lord, knowing that they are bringing him happiness, knowing the things, it's his joy, not mine. Right? We try to personalize it. Don't personalize Yeah, there's a praise God for the spirit that we can then experience it personally. But it's his joy. It's his pleasure. It's not yours. It's not that you feel joy. It's that his joy, right? By faith, you, you, you lay hold of. And that becomes your strength. Amen? It's not that you're going to be happy all the time. But it's that faith brings us, transcends our unbelief. Faith transcends our, just all the things that, you know, right? And we can then begin to enjoy God. Look at Jesus. Fixing, Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for what? Whose joy? God's joy, the Father's joy, right? He, he, he caught a glimpse. Who, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Amen? So let's go. We're going to close in Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's pleasure, God's desires, God's inclination, for his own delight. Does that matter to you? No? See, in the flesh, we only care about what? Whose pleasure? Ours. We're so, like, imprisoned to that. But in a 
twisted way, that commitment that we have, think about this, to our own pleasure becomes helpful in understanding God's own commitment to what? To his own pleasure. Amen? Like when you take delight in doing something, is it burdensome? Is it grievous? Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody in the history of the world. Every single person, 100% of the time, when you delight in that, you're like, you're like silent. <laughs> Nobody is crying. Nobody is complaining. How, how is that possible? It's very simple. Because we were made in his image. And we, too, have the pleasure thing. And God knows it. God's not trying to change that. He's just trying to reorient. Amen? So uh, the food is here. Somebody um, get the food. Oh, uh, um, God wants to just orient us. Amen? The, pro- the priority of the pleasure in God must inform the knowledge of God's will. I know this is hard to grab, but meditate on what I'm saying. It'll change your life. Meditate on it. Consider God's pleasure. Don't just think about your own. Consider that God is a God of pleasure, and then consider that God has particular pleasure. So in general, he's a God of pleasure. Just, I, that was helpful for me. I'm like, wow. Okay, I gotta, I gotta change my paradigm. God of pleasure. But then, there are particular pleasures. And I think what's in view in Colossians 1, the knowledge of his will, I think, refers to a particular pleasure. And so, I said, Lord, thank you for reminding me that your, that your will is the desires of your pleasure. But Lord, I want to know, what is that particular pleasure? I want to know that. So next week, we'll look at what is that particular pleasure? Oh, God. <laughs> I, and I don't think we're going to describe it all, but I think I've, I saw something that I said, I had to stop because I said, this is holy ground. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. Do you know the pleasures of God? Do you know what brings him great delight? Do you know what it is? Well, hopefully next week we can tap a little bit. Because <laughs> I don't know about you. His, I want to know. I have to ask the question. Okay, Lord, I thank you for the understanding of But I want to know what exactly do you, what is exactly, <laughs> what is it that brings you great pleasure? Lord, I want to know. I want to know. What makes you happy? I want to know. Right? You want to know. Lord, what is it? And the Lord began to show me stuff. And I said, I have to stop. I said, I have to stop. This is holy ground. This is unbelievable. <laughs> God is a great God. And, and you're going to be, I trust the Lord, but you're going to be encouraged. But it may, but take time to meditate on these things. But for this week, consider the pleasures of God. He delights. He's got a great joy. Next week. <laughs> I don't know where we started. It's already went there. <laughs> but I want you to meditate. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Because it's like, oh, God even takes delight in this. It's done. It's done. I want you guys to really 
Enjoy God. He's such a great God. He is such a great God. And I want you guys to just delight in this. You are so blessed beyond your imagination. And I want you to lay hold of that and go deeper. I think Paul saw glimpses. And that's why he says, I'm praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of that particular thing that God has called you to. Amen? Father, we are uh, stunned. your goodness, by your greatness. I ask you, Jesus, to open our eyes to grasp these things. That our lives will be filled with joy. And in that joy, we're going to find strength to overcome the things that beat us down every day. The lies of Satan that come to rob us of what you have done. I pray for all of us. I pray for everyone at Hope Community Church that we would just grow in the grace and in the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Oh, that we would be different from this day on, that we would not approach you like a pagan God. We would approach you as a God who dwells in infinite pleasure, who does all that he pleases. So that everything in our lives, even the things that we don't like, you're doing them through your pleasure. And if you're doing it through your pleasure, because there's pleasure in it. <laughs> it's because you know something that we don't know. And if we knew what you know, we too would have pleasure. No matter how difficult the situation. Help us to see beyond the natural. Help us to all enter to real spiritual knowledge. And to stop judging our lives by what we see. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us to grow, God, in, in, in maturity so that our lives can truly have an aroma and a fragrance of the beauty and the grace of Jesus Christ wherever we go, that we're not overwhelmed by just the stuff that happens, but that we can look beyond that. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have, Lord, even as you said, the disciples came back and said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us. It says that you leaped for joy. And you said, I praise thee, O Father. They have pleased you to reveal this to these little ones. So, Lord, prepare us, enlarge our understanding, make room for the truths of God to change us, not just to tickle our ears, but to come and do battle against Satan and the lies of Satan that, that work night and day to tear us down, to, Lord, to rob us of our joy. The thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I pray, oh God, may the truths of God arm us, Lord, so that we can be, Lord, truly followers of Jesus Christ in victory, triumphant victory. And so thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Lord, magnify your grace this week in our lives. Fill us with joy. Lord, there may be some hard things coming this week, but let us not lose sight of your will, the desires of your delight that that govern every aspect of our lives are governed by that will. <laughs> Everything, oh God, 
Your will is triumphant over our lives. And so we, we, we humble ourselves and we pray that you would open our eyes and make these truths, Lord, just change us with them and remove any sadness and just this lingering depression of, of Lord, it just, that just wants to stay there. Lord, remove it with the truth of your word. And so we thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, we pray, we take a moment now even to pray for the fellowship dinner. Lord, we pray, bless this fellowship, bless this time together. Help us, Lord, to love each other and to care for each other. Oh, God, and I pray that you would fill this place, Lord, with your love and that we would grow. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the food to our bodies. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that everything would be done for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.